welcome to the After Magazines Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bruno, coming at you from my home here in beautiful South Orange, New Jersey. Uh, this is the first episode of the podcast, so welcome. Thanks for checking it out. Uh, this is the podcast for the After Magazines Facebook group, private Facebook group. I'm really excited about today's interview. It's with After Magazine's group co-founder, Chandra Turner. Uh, Chandra formed the group with Jillian McKenzie, a colleague of hers. They worked together at Cosmo back in 2001. Um, They formed it a couple years ago, and I'm really excited to have her as the first guest. It was really kind of my intention all along. Went over to her beautiful home on a nice... May afternoon, and we recorded. Chandra talks about her history uh, in the magazine business. She's done a full tour, (laughs) full tour of duty. She runs through all the different publications that she's been at, and then kind of talks about the popular uh, job board community, Ed 2010. I remember using that back in the day when I was a whippersnapper, to use her words, uh, the whisper gossip stuff that was in there as well as some of the jobs that I remember only seeing in there. It was a very cool group and she talks a little bit about forming that. She kind of starts out talking about her days as an ASME intern. That's where it all kind of began for Chandra Um, and then walks us through her runs at American Baby, uh, Cosmo, as I mentioned, Glamour, Parents, and a bunch of other titles. Uh, And then as she puts it in her words, the bottom started falling out in the industry. I think that's something a lot of us are uh, familiar with. She has a belief in something she calls career karma, which led her to form the After Magazines group. And Jillian and Chandra didn't know what the group was going to be exactly, um, but they knew they had a bunch of really talented magazine writers and editors. And it's kind of led where it is today. Um, As she said, it kind of took on a life of its own. Chandra recently left her job as a branded content professional over at Scholastic and she's kind of off on her own now, and she'll talk a little bit about her newest endeavor, Growing Ed 2010, and launching a recruitment consulting and training company, Talent Fairy. She'll talk a little bit about that. And we talk a lot about some of the things that are themes to this podcast and to the group, translating your skill set to kind of a new industry, how to speak brand. Uh, we talk about how to tweak your bio and your resume to look like a specialist. She, Chandra's a big believer in being a specialist. Um, and she talks a little bit about spending a lot more time networking than you do sitting at home, firing off resumes. Uh, not that you don't do both, but she talks a little bit about that as well. So without further ado, I'll start yammering here and get right to it. Chandra Turner, my first guest, really excited, After Magazine's founder. Here we go. So I'm here with Chandra Turner, founder of the After Magazine's Facebook group, uh, also founder of the popular uh Editors 2010. Ed what 2010. is it? Ed 2010. What is it? Is it an email group, a website? What? How would you actually? What's the best way to describe it? So Ed 2010, I started when I was a whippersnapper. A whippersnappers group by and for whippersnappers. Um, that was back in '96. Gulp. '96. <laughs> Um, and the idea then, and I started it with a woman um, who was an intern with me at the time because 
we were trying to find our first jobs in magazines and it was really competitive back then. It was crazy to meet anybody that, you know, to break in. We were working as ASME interns and we didn't know anybody and you had to know somebody mm -hmm. in order to break into the industry. So, you know, I started this group with her to get people together all in one place. We went down for cheap beer in the East Village and mm -hmm. like wherever they would give away free food. And we all got together and just other interns about how to break into magazines. And it just kind of turned into this thing when yeah. I, you know, it's kind of like after magazines, the Facebook group did the same thing. Yeah. I didn't realize it was going to be a thing at the time. It right. was fulfilling a personal selfish need of mine totally. to connect with other people because I didn't have a connection, you know, I didn't have connections into this, you know, elite world and competitive world of magazines. Um, and then strangely, I'm doing exactly the same thing <laughs> 23 years later with all the people that you know were in Ed 2010, um, at least at some point in that process. So Ed 2010 grew into this national um, organization, website, community. We did workshops. We still do workshops. Um, Job postings, we still have job postings on there for those of you who have grown up and you don't look on Ed 2010 for your jobs anymore. We still do list them from intern all the way up um, to senior level positions. We had, for a long time there, we had national chapters at colleges across the country. Mm -hmm. um, we had up to 30 college chapters and they were really active. I put a kibosh on, on that last year very publicly, which we can talk about if you're interested in, because I just felt guilty encouraging um, kids to break into magazines. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a bit. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was awful. Um, anyway, so Ed 2010 kind of grew with a life of its own yeah. over the, you know, the last you know, 20 years. And was that, it was... The, the title was like Dream Job by 2010. Oh, yes. Wasn't that somewhere? So the that's yeah. right. So the, yeah, I, I should have mentioned that. So when I when we started it, it was kind of like, well, we're going to be the hot <laughs> shots, you know, editor in chiefs by 2010. Because 2010 was, oh my God. Yeah, it was like a movie future. Oh, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. It was so far in advance. And it was just like this lofty goal of being editor in chiefs. And here we were like 22. <laughs> um, and, you know, then when Ed 2010 actually turned into something and then we got closer to 2010 we're like crap now what are we gonna do and especially all the kids who were really active in these college groups they were like um i'm graduating in 2010 like please tell me there's something beyond this i'm mm -hmm. like oh crap we need a new name so then we actually did a poll i had a contest for anybody who could come up with a new name for ed 2010 and so i got all these write-in entries and my favorite was 20 it was ed 20 TK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, but, oh my God, Ed 2010 still, even you, right? And you've known about it for so many years. Totally. You still can't say it. It's such yeah. a hard thing to say. It does not roll off the tongue. So I knew that Ed 20 TK was not the answer. So anyway. It was cool though. I remember back in the day looking at it and there was always like hunting for jobs, right? There was always that. But it legitimately had jobs I felt like I only saw on there. And it was something about the way it was presented to you. You guys always had it where it was like, I heard. And I don't know if it actually said the words like whisper. Yes. Or Did it have that? Was whisper that you guys? Yes, yes. Yes, because I actually started out, started as a newsletter before email newsletters were a thing. 
Um, and I knew that I was big, or that Ed was big, and we personified it to Ed because Ed 2010 did not roll off the tongue. So then we just made Ed mm -hmm. the name. Um, and I was in uh, the elevator of an ASME luncheon, back when ASME luncheons were a thing for all the senior editors, mm -hmm. right? And I got to go because my senior editor wasn't allowed to, or couldn't go, and so she let me go. And those are expensive tickets. I mean, I remember, like, to go. So I'm in, either going up or going down at some event, you know, for the for ASME, and I overheard in the elevator somebody saying, did you get the Ed 2010 newsletter today? Because it has all this gossip in it, and mm. it was editor-in-chiefs talking to each other about it, and I was listening to them talk about me, and I'm like, how do they get it? Because it's only, you know, editors. Right. And they're like, well, my assistant. She was like, well, how do I get that? And she was like, well, my assistant sends it, forwards it to me every day. And then I thought, oh, shit. Yeah. I, I got to be careful what I say on there. Totally. Because in this newsletter, I would send out whatever gossip I heard. Like, and were you outed? Did, did you, was your name on it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, I, can't, I couldn't remember. No, yeah. I was stupid enough <laughs> that I sent it from, I was working at Glamour and then at YM, and I sent it from my work email. <laughs> I, I mean, I just, these there were rules back then. So it was like Chandra at YM.com or whatever the hell it was. And I was like, Mirabelle, I hear Mirabelle is going to fold. And I'm sending this out yeah. on this. And of course, it does fold. Right. And then I have the PR agent from Hachette calling me being like, how do you know? I'm like, oh, wow. No kidding. Wow. <laughs> anyway, those were the days. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know if the best way is to, to segue into the Facebook group or... Maybe we talk a little bit about, even though this is the podcast for the After Magazines group, and I'm sure everyone wants to hear all about that, and we'll talk about that, but maybe the best way is to actually talk about some of your magazine history, because I think that's probably leads us up to the organic kind of moment, and why, and how, and when you launched the actual Facebook group, if sure. that makes sense to you. Yeah. Sure. So I got my start um, as an ASME intern. Um, you know, my Ed 2010 story is similar to my career um, story. I grew up in southern Indiana near Louisville, Kentucky. I have red roses here from a derby party. I don't normally have red roses sitting in my dining room, but that's why. Um, I went to Indiana University. I came here, total cliched story, two suitcases, one-way ticket, dropped me off, cab dropped me off at the corner of 11th and uh, 3rd Ave, like down there in NYU, because mm -hmm. we were, had dorms in NYU. It was, you know, it was really exciting. I had the job at American Baby, which I did not want. Mm. I wanted glamour, but mm -hmm. you know they put you in the you know ASME places you, and you don't get to choose. Okay. And I was such a snob that I was like, I mean, I was from Southern Indiana, so as much as a snob as I could be, and I wanted to work sure. in glamour. I did not want to work at stupid American. You didn't baby. come all the way here to work at American right. Baby, right? Not course, at that age, right? You were like baby. I didn't give a shit about <laughs> babies. Yeah, right. That's the last thing I wanted to deal with. Where like I was not in that life totally. stage. Of course, I went and went on to like yeah. work for several years at a parenting magazine. So like, never mind that. Anyway, of course, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. This was you know yada yada. Uh, ended up you know working there as an intern, meeting one of my closest girlfriends, Wendy Noggle, who was an assistant when I was an intern. Even though we we're the same age, because I cheated and I did ASME when you weren't supposed to do it. Mm. I did it after I graduated mm. or after you know, whatever. Okay. So I broke all the rules. Um, now I guess it doesn't matter. No, what are they going to do? Kick me out now? I mean, you know. Um, so I did uh, ASME internship there at American Baby. It was a teeny tiny staff, and so of course I got to do a shit ton of work. After that, I worked at Good Housekeeping. I mean, all the classic, like Seven Sisters. Of course, none of them are left. I mean, mm. Good Housekeeping is. 
you know, good for them. So good housekeeping. Um, and then I went to Glamour, YM. I'm going to see if I can do this in order. Cosmo Girl. Um, no, no, no. YM, Cosmo. Then was fired at Cosmo. <gasps> that was <laughs> dramatic. Um, and Cosmo's where you met co-after magazine. Oh, and then Jill, so I met Jillian McKenzie there, who is um, the co-founder of After Magazines. Um, we worked there together. We had a really kick-ass crew at Cosmo. Um, but yeah, I got fired there. That was a fun story. And, but I was, you know, always when you get fired, you're happy, right? Like it was, I was miserable in that position for so many reasons. Um, and I really grew up after that. Mm -hmm. So then I was a freelancer. I was working on a book called Under the Covers, about under the covers of magazines, mm -hmm. like, you know, the dirt. I of get magazines. it, I get it. Very, very <laughs> clever. Yeah, you know, but that's the kind of shit <laughs> a you're A little working. risque, clever, yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah, I was not a book writer. It was not my thing. Um, and then, and I abandoned it, even though I got a little write-up in page six. That, I mean, that was the thing back then, right? Like page six was the thing. So I got a little write-up to the, th it was, uh, you know, some connection that I had. So that was, good. oh, it was actually Deb Bear who gave me the connection. Thanks, Dibs. Um, but then I ended up not doing it, because I got a, an offer to work at Ladies Home Journal for an old boss, and I went back and I did crime for, for Ladies Home I mean, who would have thunk? I mean, it was crazy. So I did crime as a deputy editor and food. That was my beats, crime and food and profiles, mm -hmm. and that was fun. And then Cosmo Girl, where I was the executive editor, and that was just divine, so much fun. Worked for Susan Schultz. This was after uh, Tusa's reign. Susan came in, worked there. Um, let's see, is that it? No, and then I went to parents. And so I was pregnant, Cosmo Girl folded, and I was pregnant, and there was hiring freezes across the industry. This was 2008. Mm -hmm. So this was like when the bottom started falling out. Kathy Black walked into the room and said, um, we're folding Cosmo Girl. And, you know, every, you know, I just didn't, I was not prepared for it. I mean, this is, I think maybe Gourmet folded before we did, but that was it. Like, there just weren't, it wasn't as, you know, common as it is now. And um, it was scary. All of the publishing companies had hiring freezes. I think now they always have hiring freezes. But back then, it was a thing to have, um, you know, to be in hiring freeze. And so I was like, great, here I am, eight months pregnant. Who's going to hire me? There's freezes everywhere. I, you know, I have this New York apartment and, you know, one other little kid. Um, and I guess who hires an eight-month pregnant woman? Parents Magazine. There you go. Uh, Dana Points, you know, was like, great, start after you have the baby. And so I did. And that was fantastic. Worked with her for eight years. Um, and then she left, and then I saw, you know, and I, you know, saw the writing on the wall, and I wasn't going to last much longer. I started. Um, I thought maybe I was safe because I started Meredith's first um, apprenticeship program for editors in New York. They had one in Des Moines that was for not for editors, but was for like the marketing and mm -hmm. ad sales team. So. I created this whole program, um, very you know, and promoted it on Ed 2010 um, to apprentice young editors and train them because that wasn't happening. And I, I feel like it's really not happening now. Mm -hmm. And there's not as much mentorship. There's not as many people that have the time um, or the experience to mentor younger staff. Um, so I started. That was my legacy. So I left them with that. Um, I think that the I remember doing the business plan for it, and it's interesting because. 
the cost of launching it was about equal to my salary. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had this <laughs> habit of um, somehow like organizing myself out of jobs um, <laughs> along the way. So I got to work on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was my legacy for Meredith. I mean, and all that. And twenty ten. There was no money in that either. I mean, oh, you're no. like famous and walking around and people are talking about you and everyone wants to know, but you're like, yeah. No, I never, I mean, I made some ad dollars in okay. the in the early days and I always felt guilty for it because my whole thing was career karma. So you give and then, you, you know, you give back, right? So like you take and then you give back later in your career. And I feel like people really did that. Um, and I did that. And so I grew this team. It's incredible. I grew this team of, I think we got up to 40 staff members at some, at some point, and they didn't get paid. I gave them bonuses at the end of the year. Whatever money I did make from Google Ads or from the job postings, which were like, job postings were like 20 bucks, 30 bucks now for an unpaid internship because we use that money to pay for scholarships for unpaid interns. Um, but whatever money we had left, I just divvied them up among the staff and was like, here you go, and bought gift cards for them. Mm-hmm. So that, that, was, that was the money that I made off of Ed 2010. Um, so that was, you know, 23 years of just kind of this like labor of love. And I still love it. Um, but now I'm trying to figure out how to trans- transition it into a business. And it's funny because I originally was going to turn it into, start it off as a nonprofit when I started, because that's what I thought. I'm like, I'm just giving back. This is a nonprofit. Um, and I took a course in it, and it was so hard to make it a nonprofit. And you had to have this board of directors, and you had to like, you had to prove all these things to people. And I was like, screw that! I'll just be an S corp and not make any money. <laughs> so that's what I did. Well, okay. So somewhere between there, is it while you were at Scholastic? Oh, somewhere between yes. there, we did, which, which transitions us to this kind of pivot point. But you saw other people or yourself, the, the writings on the wall and the industry. So tell us about w- what the conversation was and what the thought was and when you started after magazines. Yes. So Jillian and I, Jillian McKenzie and I worked together at Cosmo and she um, left Allure. There was a big shakeup at Allure. Gosh, this has probably been three years ago now. I can't even, gosh, time flies. Um, and it was January of... We are into, I think it was January of 2017, and we were just texting back and forth about, you know, the end of magazines and what are we going to do next, and what about all these creative people out there that aren't going to have careers and jobs in the same way that we always thought they were going to, right? And um, they're great, and what I always say is what's amazing is sometimes I'll hear someone disparage magazine or even even not intentionally say something along the lines of, oh, there's so much talent out there. These people are desperate. And it's like, what gets me about it is that the people are still these superlative people, right? They're still wonderfully talented, smart, hardworking people that didn't really get into any of this for money or power. They're still out there. It's just the industry changed, right? Oh, right. And the people are still great. So it seems like kind of opportunity slash damn shame, all that at once. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I feel like, of course, this is my industry, so I feel strongly about this. But So are all these listeners, so you're good. Yeah, yeah. No, right, <laughs> right. You are people. I feel like, you know, especially when I ventured out a little bit and went a little bit beyond, um, you know, magazines, so I went to work at Scholastic, and I worked in the branded content group there, so then I was exposed to people, a lot of different companies and real, quite large companies. 
There is nobody like the talent of magazine editors. And I think that it is because it was so damn competitive mm. when we were first starting out. Um, we, we got to get the cream of the crop back then. Mm -hmm. And so if you were a magazine editor of a certain time, and I would say it's like the 80s to the 2000s, then you were trained really well. Mm -hmm. Like you weren't allowed to write and edit until you're good. And then you were edited by a freaking like hierarchy of people above you, right? So you learned to take criticism. You also learned how to really hone a skill and you were trained on the spot. A lot of that has changed and doesn't occur anymore, but I feel like we bred and created talent like no other industry um, because we were so competitive. I mean, yeah. that's really what I believe. And I haven't seen anything like it. So when I was at Scholastic, I hired a lot of magazine editors um, because I could trust them, um, even though the roles were different. Like maybe they were project managers or, you know, like, you know, content. It was more content rather than like writing, editing stories. Um, so I think that there's a special, there's really a special something about magazine, traditional magazine editors in a way that nobody else gets. Like the packaging skills, mm -hmm. I mean, there's, um, I almost couldn't even explain it to people who weren't in magazines. Like I just need for this to be pulled apart and then put back together in a, in a way that like the normal person will understand it. And they're like, huh? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, packaging, it's packaging. and trying to explain that. So Jillian and I were chatting about all of these things and how, you know, nobody gets us and how are we going to redefine ourselves? And I still had a job at Parents at the time, but like I said, the writing was on the wall. Um, and I don't know if it was her or me said at first, like, well, we should start, you know, a Facebook group. And, and then Jillian was like, okay, just did it. <laughs> and I was like, what do we call no ourselves? <laughs> what do we call ourselves after magazines? And then it was like, okay, so let's invite our friends. And I'm telling you, it was like 500 people in like just a couple months. And then now I think we're at 1,100. I'd have to go on exactly see what it is. Um, yeah, I think we're like 1,100 people. And it slowed down. It's funny. It was fast and furious. We, and then we had to define what, oh shit, we have to make sure that we keep this group um, relevant. So we wanted to make sure that we um, chose people that really could have the perspective and understanding of what it's like to come from a print magazine background. So the criteria that we decided upon on like day three. So some people snuck in before that. So lucky you, whoever it is. Um, so we, they're grandfathered they're and you didn't kick them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody, right, right, right. We grandfathered them in. Um, so you have to work in print magazines for three years as an editor. So as like a bona fide editor. And, you know, you'd be surprised, because, you know, people that are vying to get in um, who are maybe like creative directors or managing editors or they had all these other jobs, or freelance, or digital, and they can have wonderful experiences, and it was all digital, like they were lucky enough that they had a digital career for 20 years. Um, but I say, you don't understand us. Sure. If, you, if you've been in digital primarily, only digital for 20 years, you're never gonna understand what it's like to come from a magazine background. Now, if you pivoted from that, and you, you were smart enough to do that, you know, in the early 2000s, like you're in. Um, but you have to have that common thread or that, you know, that baseline requirement is that you had to be an editor for at least three years in print magazines. So, and now we have all of you. And you did, so there, there's a stated, and in my episode zero where I introduced, I actually read it from the site. It was 
I, I don't have it in front of me, but it was something along the lines of part kind of therapy, part job board posting. It, it's sort of a, a three-part thing. I mean, was that the thought from the beginning? Was it, or did, did it kind of evolve and grow into its own? Like, what was kind of the, yeah. Yeah, it's a, a little bit of both. I mean, I think that it did kind of, we started out telling our stories. And so it, at first, Jillian and I just wanted it to be a place where people could share how they made their, their pivot and who they were. And if, any, if you go back to those first, it's hard on Facebook to go back to the beginning. But if you can, they are beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, these people can write, too. Let's not forget that. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why it's such an engaging platform is that these are content creators. Mm -hmm. These are writers and editors. That may, you know, they're really good writers. And so there's these wonderful little memoirettes on the site from how they, you know, their love of, you know, the industry. And then they tag everybody that they, you know, worked with over the time. And it's so reminiscent. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, it took you back. And so that's really, that's how it started. And then slowly people started inviting people that were in positions where they had already pivoted and they were looking for new talent. And we were like, oh, <laughs> this could actually not just be us like wallowing together, and communing together, but this can actually be a place where we can help each other find new jobs. So the, the pivot aspect to it wasn't sort of the impetus behind launching it that kind of came uh, afterwards as it evolved? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it really started as community, and I think that that's really what's right. fascinating um, and very similar to 2010. Like, it, it was really a need to connect. Mm -hmm. And so you connect first, mm -hmm. And then you figure out what the community needs and the needs change over time. And we've started to see the shift towards job sharing and job, you know, um, like job coaching, like everybody's coaching each other. Like, you know, I can't decide, should I be an LLC or an S Corp? Or, you know, I need to find a freelance technical copywriter. Where do I find that kind of person? So it's all I these saw one the other day, how does one actually become an SEO expert? Those kinds of things, which are really, even if you never thought about it, it's just kind of interesting to read that conversation and think about it oh, then. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So it's not just, what's what I love about it, it's not just job postings, it's, which there are plenty of people sharing job postings and hiring people, but it's also like sharing their wisdom. And there's always somebody on there that knows. Um, and also what's amazing about like a bunch of journalists is we all know a little bit about everything. <laughs> so they, if they don't know, then they wrote a story about it or they know the expert for it. Or mm -hmm. So it's just this mm -hmm. enormous resource that we didn't even know what we were tapping into when we first started it. Um, and it just kind of took over a life of its own. Um, and I, you know, now, I mean, I can't even go a day without going on to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just started this book club. We are meeting yeah, yeah, on yeah, yeah, yeah. June 11th. Uh, we need a location. We'll post where, where the location is going to be. And we're going to be reading uh, Save Me the Plum, so Ruth Reichel's book, her latest. And it is delicious, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. to use the pun. Mm -hmm. since Good plums. one. Um, I listened to the audiobook. It is great. And it's all about her meetings with James Truman and Cy and all this insider content stuff. It? And she reads it. Yeah. It's great. Good. It's really yeah. good. Perfect for this group. Perfect for this group. So you you were at Scholastic when this happened? So I was at I was still at parents when okay. I started it. Oh, yeah, you said. Yeah. yeah. And so it helped me with that transition too, because 
Oh, and I, and I, you know, selfishly use after magazines. Like when I was here, I was had to build this content studio and hire and shape it, and I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> so, and there were a lot of branded content experts on here, and and a lot of people that worked, you know, created editorial workflow, and I was like. Okay, what you know? What software are you using? What you know? What project management tools do you use? You know, how do you run your you know branded content teams? And got tons of great advice and contacts, and went to lunch and drinks and coffees with lots of people in this group that I knew through somebody probably would have connected, but nowhere nearly as easily as it was by just posting here. Yeah. So um, I've taken advantage of it as much or more than anybody else. So, you know, as someone that's seen the folks in there and you've watched it evolve and we've talked about how there's definitely a lot of people talking about, you know, I think by the title to after magazines, it kind of is, you know, well, what, what comes after? I worked at a magazine for 20 years. What comes after? And you've seen a lot of that. One, one of the things you mentioned is that there's a lot of kind of helpful, the, the hints and tips. And, and with this podcast, my stated goal has been from the beginning that I really want to kind of, and I think I talked with you about this, Jennifer, but I wanted to really focus on tactical advice and not, you know, th there's plenty, we're, we're going to laugh and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the tears in your beer moments. But I, I, I think what I really wanted to do with this was focus on those tactical what what if, if someone listens to this every week? What do they walk away with? What can so as someone that's watched this and over the last few years and and learned, I mean, what are some of the things? And I, this is a big open question, but I'm just kind of mm -hmm. some of the main challenges that that you've seen or some of the things that you were able to kind of employ to be able to kind of say, okay, I'm going to use these skills that I have as all the things we ran and enumerated about being a, a talented magazine person to do something else. You know, what are some of the things or what are some of the things someone should do to kind of make that pivot if they say there's just not enough work in this business anymore? Right. I mean, I think everybody told me, you have everything that you need to work in branded content or work in corporate or run a communications team or whatever when I left parents. But I never felt like I did. I was nervous about it, leaving this mostly print background. And what I realized is they were right. I mean, I ended up feeling much more confident than I thought that I would, but I, you know, you kind of have to earn that. It really was learning the language yeah. and being able to talk the talk. So I think that I knew how to do all of this. I knew how to create good content. It didn't matter who it was for. It's just that I had to know how to talk to the brands and like use this language and understand what the acronym were, was, you know, were, and you know, it was, that was the challenging yeah. part is just sounding like you knew what you were talking about. I remember when um, I was first taking on or trying to get some branded content um, consulting gigs after parents and before Scholastic and you know, the guy was like, well, how, what's your, you know, how would you create a roadmap for this website? And I'm like, <laughs> and he was like, you know, how would you be targeting your audience? I'm like, well, I would write what they want. Yeah. You know, like I didn't, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to market myself. I didn't yeah. know how to use the world. I was just like, well, I'll, you know, how do you know what content they're going to need? And I'm like, well, I just research them and then I create the content for them. Like it was like, the question seems so elementary and stupid to me that I was like, well, I can do this. Right. I just, I, it's hard for me to explain to you how I'm going to do it. I've just been doing it. I've been talking to people in my life. Or, or to even necessarily understand that that is what the question was because right. of that. I mean, even titles and things, I, I talk with folks all the time. It's like, if you say I'm an executive editor, I'm a managing editor, I'm an editor-in-chief, 
those are titles that don't really mean very much to anyone outside of a publishing industry. And, you know, I think those are things that people need to kind of wrap their arms around. Okay, how do I explain what I did? Do I even kind of slash my title or something on my LinkedIn page so people know what I did? Right. I think that's really smart advice because I always referred to myself as an editor, right? And I thought that it was... I. I I thought I was dumbing it down by saying I was a storyteller or a content strategist or all these other terms that people were using, but people aren't editors anymore. People don't realize that's what editors are. They still think that you're the, being an editor is you know knowing like AP style or if they even know what that is. Um, they don't really understand that it is strategy. And for the longest time, I had a hard time saying that I knew strategy. So when this guy was talking to me about my roadmap and what my strategy would be, I was just kind of like, I don't know, I just do it. <laughs> I, I didn't know that it wasn't something that we articulated. It's not like we sat around and said, what is our editorial strategy for this story? It, that was packaging, like mm -hmm. how we're going to package the story. That's mm -hmm. the terms that we use, but nobody uses the term packaging. So it's really just about how do you change what you say about yourself um, and I also think that the other thing is what I've learned is that it's good to be a specialist in something um, and you can manipulate pretty much any job you've worked at to make it look like you're a specialist. So if you're a content specialist in personal finance or whatever, better than being a generalist. Um, I realize that looking for jobs. Um, so that's another like LinkedIn tip if you can figure out how to do it. You know, content strategist, you know, for... Mm -hmm entertainment or, you know, pop culture mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. So you were at Scholastic and it, it's, uh, I didn't actually directly ask you, it sounds like it was more of a branded content. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so Scholastic had, well, they still have, even though I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how. Um, is a group called the National Partnerships Group, um, which is a little bit of a misnomer because we did all kinds of partnerships. Um, where we, we partnered with big brands, what could be NASCAR or even like the National Institutes of Health. It really ran the gamut. Google, Facebook, Instagram, all of the tech ones we brought in, you know, at the end. Um, anyway, we would do programs for them, programs being magazines, teaching guides, posters, all this content that went in those magazines that Scholastic does that go to your kids in the schools, it would actually go to them in the schools. But then we also had websites that had all that same content and more and video and games and all this inter interactivity. Um, and we would send it to teachers who then we would hope would be using it in their classrooms. Um, so it was great stuff. I mean, it was like National Institutes of Health, we were doing something on bio you know, biology careers, and then like Google was all about coding. NASCAR was about physics and speed. So you, it was like, you know, being this, um, you know, just like being a magazine editor, you get to cover all mm -hmm. these really cool topics, uh, and they were sponsored by brands. So then I had to work with clients for the first time. And I never worked with clients. I mean, towards the end of parents, and probably lots of people that are listening know this, you know, the editors got much more involved in the marketing side and the advertising side. So maybe you did go on sales calls or you tried to figure out how to, you know, do those, you know, integrated marketing campaigns. In my experience, yeah. all the best campaigns that were done were ones where the editorial team was involved. Yes. And they were excited about it. They were using their skills and it wasn't just some kind of like 
I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I guess I can do it type situation, which also happened too often. Yeah, absolutely. It's always good when the editorial team does. But then, of course, we never get the credit and we never get the money. <laughs> right. So and then I felt like we were being whored out as editors when I was working in magazines. I'm like, and we didn't get the credit for it. Right. And it was all anyway. So I didn't I was like, if I'm going to work for the man, like I want to be above board. Totally. You know, I wanted people to know and I wanted to stay sponsored on there. So I really liked that about Scholastic and it had a good mission. So if I was going to go and hawk some product, at least I felt like mm -hmm. it had an educational value. It was it was good for the kids. It was good for the teachers. Um, so I did feel good about that. But it was working with clients and that client services, whoa, that's like a whole other thing because we've been trained that working with clients is your reader. Like your mm -hmm. reader is the mm -hmm. client. And if your reader's happy, then you're happy. And but now it's like a lot of people, you know, where the money is, is and where the jobs are, a lot of working and branded and sponsored and content marketing. And so you're not necessarily giving the reader what the best thing is for them you're giving this client what they think is best for them so then they will buy their product mm -hmm. or that they'll have good recognition or whatever their objective is. Um, so that was hard. That was a hard, you know, nut to crack, screw to turn in my head, whatever the analogy is. I mean, it was, it was tricky. Um, but I feel like I learned a ton being a client services business. so Do you approach the work differently when you think about the client being the brand or the client as opposed to the reader? You approach the entire process differently? Yes, because it all it's only successful. Like how you're measuring it, right? It's successful if the client is happy, right? You can almost always manipulate it so it looks like the reader is happy. You can always... I mean, you can pay more, it's more money, but like if it didn't reach its, you know, metrics, then you can always send more posts out. You can always do more emails. You can always reach the metrics, but you want the you want the client to be happy and feel like they got what they paid for and they want to come back again. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it does change it. And you know, what I have found is that clients don't necessarily want to be innovative mm -hmm. and. They, they like good ideas, of course. Like who doesn't like good ideas? But they also like safe ideas, right? And whoever's representing them, maybe it's an agency. They have an idea of what they want to do. Well, it might not be the best thing for your readers, but they don't really care. Mm. They also only care about the client. Mm -hmm. So that's hard is to let that go. Or you may have a really freaking fantastic idea that nobody wants to pay for or sponsor, and you can't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was the one thing that I didn't like about working um, in Branded is that you couldn't just do a good idea because it was a good idea. Right. So you were there for a bit, and <laughs> <laughs> then you weren't. And yes. we, we could talk about that or not either way. And tell us about what you're doing now. What's next? I mean, you, you it sounds like there was things you liked about the, the, doing that branded work, um, the mission actually of Scholastic itself seems like that helped a lot. Um, you know, did you think that's it? I'm going to do more branded work, or you know, where's your head at? And tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm trying on a lot of different things. I'm much more confident this time because you know I have suddenly have all these tools that I didn't know I had, or they're sharper or something. I'm full of the analogies. <laughs> <laughs> Editor. Yeah, I mean, totally. what say? Um, so I I just launched Talent Fairy, which actually I did launch it a few years ago, and but she's back. So the Talent Fairy is back, and the name comes from one in 
somebody was interviewing me about careers and young whippersnappers in the industry. This has been several years ago, and she, and the title was "Meet the Fairy Godmother of the Magazine Industry." And I was like, "Oh, that's so sweet! I've always been known as a fairy godmother." So I am. So my company is Talent Fairy, and it's an offshoot of Ed Twenty Ten. And it's all about connecting people. So connecting clients, so branded, with talent creators. And that can be all of you guys who are listening, editors, writers, project managers that understand editorial, illustrators, art directors, designers, any creative person and connecting them with big brands or little brands. I mean, I kind of feel like the startups of the world who maybe are like tech startups or whatever, and they don't know anything about content, um, but they know they have to have it. Like everybody has to have their own content. Connecting those kind of people or where you need niche because we are a bunch of niche people. So it's like, you know, somebody who is an expert in public policy and also an editor. You have an expert in music and they're also an editor. So capitalizing on that and placing those people together. Um, I'm continuing to do career counseling through Ed 2010, which is a lot of fun. And kids are graduating right now. So it's, it's nice, you know, to a lot of people that I gave um, resume makeovers to six months ago when they were starting their senior years, and now they're reaching out to me, and they're like, help me, I'm graduating, mm -hmm. um, I'm nervous. Um, so I really love doing that. Um, and then I'm hoping to do some branded content programs myself, kind of on a freelance consulting basis, um, because I feel like that is where the money is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, if there's one tip that I would relay is get closer to the money. Mm -hmm. um, and I never was. I was never close to the business side of things. I didn't want to be. I pushed that away. Um, you know, we all relied on advertising and they were on a different floor. Um, but now I realize that you've got to be closer to the product and there has to be a product. So um, I'm trying to supplement those things. But I'm really excited about Talent Fairy because I feel like I've been doing this my whole life, connecting people. Um, and it's a nice marriage with editorial. So I'm really looking forward to it, and it's fun. And it, you know, part of my job as being a talent fairy is going in, and I say going in because I live in Westchester, and hopping on the train for 30 minutes and just meeting with people mm -hmm. all day. I mean, that's fun, talking mm -hmm. to them about their jobs and what are they doing and what are their needs in, in their workplaces and what do they want to do in their own careers. And it's like I could do that forever, and hopefully I can pay my bills and I can do it forever. Well, I was going to say, so is that, is it, is it a consultation fee structure? Is it a bounty? How do, how are you structuring the monetization? I like the word bounty. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I need a holster yeah. <laughs> for the bounty. Um, yeah, maybe that could be the illo for the talent fairy. She yeah. could have like a holster and be like, Ch -ch -ch -ch, yeah. bounty hunter ta slash talent fairy. I feel like a fairy um, should have like a bow and arrow or something, yes, but we yes. could go with that. Yeah. 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 Like Cupid. Like she's, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm figuring it out. Um, you know, career counseling is pretty easy, straight structure. I'm going to take a percentage of the first year salary mm -hmm. for placement. But then I realized like when I was at Scholastic, most of the jobs weren't full-time salary positions. Most of them were for these projects. So the projects may be a year, they may be six months, they may be six weeks, but you needed an expert in a content area and you needed them yesterday. Like they may have to be in a launch call in two days Right? And so you need people very quickly. 
and for a sh maybe a short amount of time or as independent contractors. So I'm thinking taking a percentage of a project fee and being mm -hmm. able to find somebody quickly for that. So that's what I'm thinking. Um, but all rates are negotiable. <laughs> <laughs> so if someone's thinking, okay, Talent Ferry or even if it were something else, hopefully it's Talent Ferry, you know, and, and they're listening to this and they're thinking, wow, it sounded like there's, there's a lot of good stuff here. There's, I, I have some work to do though, right? Like translating my skills in a way that people will understand. How did you learn that? And what should someone do to actually figure that out? I mean, to some extent, it's like, well, you got to get in there and make mistakes. But then there's a chicken and egg issue of like, well, how do I get in there and make mistakes unless I get in there? So what can someone do? What are things that they can do to actually kind of be able to s translate those skills to, to this new field that they're looking at? I think it's a lot about learning how to talk that language we were just talking about. Um, one of the things that I did while I was still in my job at Parents, I would stand at my standing desk and take the Coursera classes or mm -hmm. Coursera or whatever, mm -hmm. like at the job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> and so I took classes in content marketing and SEO. Turns out I already knew all of it. But then I knew some more words to say when I was on the phone with those people. And, you know, I had to put myself in some embarrassing situations where I would apply for jobs. And maybe I knew enough to get the interview. And then I'd be in the interview and they had asked me a question and I wouldn't know the answer. Mm -hmm. um, and I try to say, and I would start, think I knew what they were talking about. And I could just tell by the look on their face that I totally didn't get it. And then I would go back and I would Google it. Right, so it is, you do kind of have to fall on your face a little bit. I mean, I think that what's nice about having this After Magazines community is that enough of us have already done that. And so you can learn a lot just by talking to your peers. I have a good friend that just lives down the street, Laura Kalehoff, and she very successfully started her own career, um, her own consulting company doing branded content. And I just was listening, I let her sit here at my dining room table and do one of her calls. And I just like listening to her and how she pitched herself and how she could talk that talk. And I was like, oh, I was literally taking notes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've known this woman for 15 years, right? But you're rarely in a position, like you know what your friends are doing, but you're rarely in a position where you can really hear them in action. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really helpful. So like asking people like, well, how do you say that? What words do you use? Um, because that's really all it is. And you can always go back and research something later. Um, so yeah, you do kind of have to fall a little bit and you have to give yourself time to do that. And I'm falling right now. Like I don't really know how to do all of these things. And it's like, oh shoot, if I'm gonna start this new business, do I have to have a new privacy clause on here? Oh crap, like hopefully nobody will sue me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so there's all these things that we kind of have to stumble your way through and that's just part of the pivot and you allow yourself that. Um, so, but I think that, you know, the cheap things you can do are meet with people, meet with people, meet with people. Somebody told me a stat recently that you only get your next, you only get the um, the next job, 3%, only 3% of the jobs you get from applying online to online um, postings, mm -hmm. right? Uh, except for at 2010. That, that's not true for at 2010. But everywhere else, Much LinkedIn, like, yeah, LinkedIn, um, 3% of them. So that's like, and it was like 80 something percent were from people that you met. So if you shift, if you shift it to being like, I'm going to spend 80% of my time meeting with people and talking to people about how they got their job or their failures or how they position themselves, then you're much more likely to be able to make that transition. You're spending the time where it's going to be more likely to pay off. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it's such a suck to be like 
sitting there on LinkedIn and reading these, the job postings. And I didn't even know what they meant. I even went back and read. I remember I didn't even know what half of my job description <laughs> meant when I, when I came out of the job. Because there's all this terminology. And I think that when you're first starting, you're just like reading through this and you're so daunting. So just don't read it. Like instead of just go meet with people, mm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's what I would advise. How do people get in touch with Talent Fairy, find After Magazines, find Ed2010, et cetera? Yeah, so After Magazines, if you're not already a member, it's a private group, and you have to be recommended by somebody else who's in the group. And you have to be on Facebook, duh, because it's a Facebook group. So they need to recommend you, and Jillian and I monitor the group, and so you'll pop up in um, a queue, and then we will go and check you on LinkedIn. There are a few people who worked in magazines so long ago that they don't put it on their LinkedIn, and I get it. So, but you just have to explain, so, so, you know, say, you know, I right, have, the, right. I have the cred. Yeah. Um, but why hide it? Don't hide it. Yeah. That's the best part of your life, anyway. Um, so after magazines, you can get us on Facebook. Ed2010 is ed2010.com, um, and Talent Fairy, is you can find when you're on Ed2010. So, um, yeah, I would love to meet with every single one of you one-on-one. So in addition to the After Magazines Book Club meeting, what, what else is coming up that we want to let people know about? Anything else, any things for After Magazines or, 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 or even in your own personal? What do you want to let people know about coming up? Well, I would like to start offering workshops for the After Magazines crowd. Mm. So kind of what we're talking about now, mm-hmm. um, how do you talk that talk? What what lingo do you need to know? How do you translate magazine to branded, right? So understanding that, understanding how to write and edit in branded, how to project management, how to project manage, um, which is basically like managing, you know, managing editor work. Mm-hmm. Um, because those are things that I all I had to learn. Um, and so I feel like this community is so hungry for knowledge and information. Um, so I want to be able to help provide that. So I'm going to do a poll um, on After Magazines, um, hopefully in the next week or so, asking people what they want. What kind of career services do you feel like you need? Where are you lacking? Where do you feel uncomfortable? What can we help you with? And if I can't, if I can't provide it, then we'll find somebody else who can. And maybe we can have speakers or other um, workshops or experts who can come in and help because I feel like, you know, it's such a wonderful community and everybody is so willing to help each other out. I just want to be able to support it and grow it in, in all the ways that I can. Yeah. Very cool. And, you know, I just want to say, and I, I know I speak for a lot of the people in the group, um, I want to thank you for doing this. The After Magazines group for me has been not just in terms of some of the tips and things, which has been wonderful um, jobs and other things that I've seen on there, but it's also just been the community part of it's good because it can it can get a little low this business what's happened to it and to be able to remember that you know you are superlative to see the other superlative people kind of in the same situation has been really great. So I, I, I just want to thank you guys for, for building this and for creating that. It's been helpful in myriad ways and very important ways. So, you know, it's been great. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Well, thank you, Chandra and uh, be well. That'll do it folks. First episode of the after magazines podcast is in the books. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, hope you got something out of it. That really is my intent here is to provide something you can actually take with you and uh, kind of help you get to whatever's next in your career. Thank you to Chandra uh, for doing the group. 
Thank you for doing the interview. Thank you for letting me do the podcast for this wonderful group. Uh, we'll be back every week. Subscribe. Hit me on the email. Catch you next time.